Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by two guys who were a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast, so they're easing the pain <laughs> with some alcoholic beverages this time around. I'm Adam Pranica. Uh, my therapist says never to do this. I'm Ben Harrison. <laughs> you know, uh, my my lovely wife, lovely and smart and all of the good adjectives, Recently made a deal with herself. She's like, I don't want to drink anymore on weekdays. Yeah. She's like, that, that's something that we can stick to. That's, that's a noble and good thing. Let's save, let's save the drinking for weekends where it belongs. Non-school nights, she says. And this was a deal that I said to her face was something that I couldn't join her in. <laughs> <laughs> because I have a job, Ben, and that job is pod primarily now. But honey, it's for work. And here I am, ready to clock in with you with a highball glass full of bourbon. All right, buddy, let's clock in. <laughs> what are you drinking today? Uh, I'm drinking a Golden State Bay Brett cider. This there you is go. A, uh, a hard cider made out of apples. I've been drinking a lot of cider lately. I've I've been trying to go gluten free. It's a it's a nice thing to drink, and I I, uh, I found in New York that I had a hard time finding a cider that didn't taste like extra sweetened apple soda with booze. Yeah, that's real tough. A too sweet cider seems like the standard, and that is no good. Yeah, yeah, don't need it, and. Uh, I fortunately have had pretty good luck. I I don't know the brands out here on the West Coast as well, but uh, I've been I've been finding that my hit rate of trying one and liking it has been pretty high, and uh, it's it's because of all that all that dryness in it. Nothing more disappointing than going up to a bar and the only cider they have is sweet. Yeah, get out of here with that. Yeah, take that woodchuck and flush it. Uh, I went to a cidreria in the Basque country of Spain several years ago, and uh, the cider was quite dry. I bet. But it was. Petriteggi. If you ever see it, try it out. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Got the Benjamin R. Harrison seal of approval. Yeah, they <laughs> they put that on all the literature. <laughs> the sticker on the bottle says, I tried it, Benjamin R. Harrison. <laughs> uh, yeah, that... It was a uh, it was a funny scene because it's kind of like a they've got kind of like a steakhouse type of vibe where you go in and and like you basically pay them twenty five dollars a person and they just bring out like some salad and some steak and a glass and then like as you as you like you can go back into the the room full of like you know fifty thousand gallon barrels of cider and. Just a, an employee will be around, like, tapping a different barrel from time to time. And the way they, like, it is such an abundant resource there that when they tap it, it is just, like, spraying across the room, like like a stream of piss. And you just hold out your glass to catch a bunch of it. But, like, a lot of it is just going on the floor. <laughs> is anyone there just, like, with an open mouth? 
trying to catch it like that i i thought about it i you know i was kind of stranger in a strange land and like sure. there was mostly locals and like there was definitely a point where i was like drunk enough that i didn't realize it was my turn to stick my glass into the stream and everybody was looking at me like what the fuck are you doing you're wasting so much cider <laughs> when you're stranger in a strange land there's two things you don't want to do ben number one you don't want to just watch the stream and not stick your glass in front of it number two is you don't want to Close your eyes, open your mouth, and put your face in front of that stream. Right. Yeah. There's there's uh there's etiquette to be followed, you know. You just you don't you gotta wait to do that until you see somebody else demonstrating that that's okay. Um Adam, we're here because we have our new board game mechanic in full effect. That's right. Uh people are going to gach.biz slash game. Is that what we said? Yeah. And, yeah, people uh, are really loving the idea of this game, Ben, and that's encouraging because we surely didn't want to ruin the show. No, no. Come on. Who would ever accuse us of that? I think uh, I think this is going to be good. I'm excited that we are here in season two of Derp's Person Earn. It'll be interesting to see what, if any, differences we will discover in season two, episode one. The homecoming. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. Ben, this uh, this first scene occurs in Quark's bar. Familiar, a familiar opening to a Deep Space Nine episode. At this yeah, point. nothing surprising here. But maybe the only surprise I saw was Quark's giant belt buckle, and that he sort of dressed like a carpet store Santa. <laughs> Like he's more he's more rotund and jolly here than I remember in season one. And that's how I found out there was no Santa Claus. Well, Deep Space Nine has been good for Quark. He's in great spirits. He's yeah. in great spirits because uh, he did Odo a solid. I figured we'd been at each other's throats long enough. It's time we called a truce. Truce. <laughs> Having watched The Wire, I feel like I don't quite buy that Odo isn't wise to what Quark is doing. You know, sometimes a criminal will turn in another criminal to, to like, open the market up for himself, right? Right. But Odo, uh, having having gotten a hot and actionable tip from Quark, like, he made arrests based on this tip, is totally perplexed as to why Quark would, would help him out with some information like this. In a post-currency society for some people, not Quark, but some people. Right. Uh, information's the true currency, right? Yeah. And that's what he's throwing around. You know, you know, Odo's not going to take a bribe, but he will, he'll take a pocket full of that sweet, sweet information. So the angle winds up not being that Quark is trying to free up space in the black market so much as he's just trying to confuse Odo. You're up to something. Why would you say that? Because you're always up to something. <laughs> Which I like. Like, yeah, like one of the rules of acquisition is like, get your opposition off guard by declaring peace. It confuses the hell out of your enemies. I, I love Ram in this whole sequence because the, the initial conversation between Odo and Quark is framed with Ram like clearly listening in in the background while pretending to polish the, the bar. Yeah, he's basically doing everything except like sticking his head into frame from the top. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, 
This is definitely like the series indicating like this Rom guy is going to be more of a character now. And he's also like doing, helping us get a little exposition because he's like, Quark, why the hell did you do that? <laughs> Quark basically turns to camera and, and tells us why. So we open with this like very tactical Quark situation where where Quark is making like, you know, he's making galaxy brain moves, you know? <laughs> He's that he's that meme where where the mind has has encompassed the entire galaxy. I want to see the galaxy brain meme redone with the Ferengi head. <laughs> but then like the next thing he does seems so unquirk because it's like I mean maybe it's it's kind of quirk but the lady he's dealing with you would think kind of works the same way. Right. And she really doesn't. Like, she's got this earring. A Cardassian gave you a Bajoran earring? He asked me to take it to Bajor. Said whoever I showed it to would understand. There doesn't seem to be a financial angle there. No terms are discussed. He just takes it off her hand. So it's like, what, is Quark just doing favors now? In a mixed station universe, like, it sort of feels like airport rules would be in play, right? You don't want to hold onto someone's, some stranger's bag. <laughs> Just like, I wouldn't expect Quark to want to hold on to this earring, not knowing its provenance, right? Like, purple-haired catsuit lady seems to be doing that grift that that all attractive women seem to be able to do to Ferengi, which is like, sort of seduce them into doing their bidding. Right. Or just be like a guy on a street with a fucking watch that he claims is a real Roly, you know? Yeah, that's a, that may be a better description of the scene because he doesn't ever assume that, that it's going to get him into trouble. We need Quirk to like take a pit stop at the Antiques Roadshow and get like a an insurance valuation on this thing. I would insure it for at least $1 million. You know, like for it to be plausible. I feel like Garrick would be a great host for that version of the show on DS9. <laughs> in in lieu of Mark L. Wahlberg? Yeah, yeah. God, get Mark L. Wahlberg out of here. Get Garrick in there. Yeah. So, yeah, she just gives him this earring saying, like, she, like anybody Bajoran will know what to do with it is basically what she says, which is also confusing because she's on a Bajoran space station. <laughs> Like, yeah, kind of bully for her, right? Yeah, like if if you don't want money for it and it's potential trouble, which is sort of implied here, drop it on the promenade and walk away. You know? Yeah the the earring ends up being from Cardassia Four. That's said straight away. So already Quark's got to feel like this thing is hot. And uh, and the person he takes it to is Major Kira, and he takes it to her on a kind of pervy basis of like entering her quarters. As she's changing, and she's actually dressed in uh, blowing up a pizza oven attire. Right. Yeah, which she m- may be my favorite uh, costume for the Navisa tour so far. Yeah, we have to assume that she came from blowing up a pizza oven, right. I-, I guess. That's all she likes to do in the hollow suites. It's like, pizza oven, level 47. <laughs> Start program. Yeah, this, she's like having a little meditation... Uh, just reflecting on the pizza oven that she just blew up. And uh, she turns around, and there's Quark, and he's like, hey, got a little uh, little something-something for you. And he doesn't even try and sell it to her. As soon as we fade up in Kira's 
Kondo, I was thinking, oh, we haven't seen Kira's Kondo before on this show. And then as soon as I said that... I always wondered what your quarters looked like. <laughs> and then, like, makes himself at home. Surprisingly wharf-like apartment. Yeah, pretty Spartan. I, I don't know if that's because it's a Cardassian space station or because Kira is kind of a wharf-like character. She's the warrior of the show, you know? Her rank should earn her one of the best condos, I think. Yeah. It seems a lot smaller than the one we've seen Cisco in, right? Right. It could really... Uh, I mean, it's clearly not an open concept apartment. Therefore, we don't get to see the entirety of it. Yeah. <laughs> get the property brothers over here. We got to <laughs> knock some walls down. This is not going to have good resale value. People are looking for that open concept. Not great curb appeal from Bejor either. <laughs> So she takes the uh, she takes the earring and storms out, and Quark is like, um, "Well, consider it a gift." Yeah, and this is like this adds more batter to the cake that is the idea of Quark being in love with Kira, like throughout season one. There are there are implied affectionate moments from Quark to Kira that are they're unrecorded, and so like the idea of Quark being okay, just giving up something of value to her. Makes a little bit of sense to me in a way that he would never let that fly for anyone else without wanting something in return. Yeah. I don't, I don't blame him. All he wants in return is her love, man. Yeah. That's our cold open. And uh, we come back from title sequence and Jake is running into his dad on the promenade. And uh, Jake is uh, is pretty pumped because he has just landed... A uh, a first date. He asked a girl out. Well, good for you. And now you've come to the old man for advice on what to say to her. And uh, he wants his dad to consult with him on like what he should what he should do with this girl. <laughs> his ideas all sound too erotic for Commander Cisco. But at the same time, they sound totally rational given what there is to do on this dumb station. Like. <laughs> All there is to do is go to a hollow suite or go to the apartment and watch TV. Right. What else are they going to do? And to both of these ideas, Ben Sisko is like, no way. You need a chaperone for things like that. And, and also, like, she's way too young to see fuck Bokai. <laughs> <laughs> and what you like doing to him in the hollow suite. Is Jake allowed in Quarks? Yeah, because uh, he hangs out with Nog there sometimes. Yeah, like, I wonder, like, is Quark's like TGI Fridays where it's it's as much restaurant as bar? Yeah, I, I feel like that's a fairly accurate thing. It, it doesn't seem like there's any other restaurant situation there. Well, there's the there's the replimat, right? And I think yeah. in later seasons, there's like a, a Klingon restaurant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the ethnic food of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I'm sure that's really popular. <laughs> yeah. Delicious. Yeah, you can you can smear all the uh, <laughs> all the all the fish roe you want on your turkey leg. The rokeg blood pie has been under the heat lamp for 13 hours. Yeah, you gotta you gotta be careful with that stuff. <laughs> you know what? I bet Klingon food safety rules mandate that uh, all food must be in the danger zone, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, you uh you let that mayonnaise sit out in the sun to test the metal of your warriorness. <laughs> so, so yeah, Cisco's suggestions are like do something in public with her. Wear a straitjacket. Do a ride along with Odo. 
Ben, it made me think of uh, presupposing that you ever knew what you were doing. <laughs> what were what were some of the first date ideas that you had when you were first dating? I remember not really having a lot of great ideas myself, and they mostly involved just like renting a movie or hanging out at the mall. Yeah, I I have a distinct memory of of like that middle school moment where you like ask a girl out and. That is like a meaningless gesture in middle school because it's like not it, you can't like go anywhere or do anything. Yeah. With anybody, uh, you don't have a car. Like you're definitely not going to like ask your parents to take you on a date. It's so dumb. <laughs> and it, you know, it it was that classic like we would pass each other in the hall and be more awkward with each other than <laughs> before I had asked her out. Kind of a deal. At least you had the ask her out part down, Ben. I feel like what I did primarily was like not give the thing a name (laughs) and hang out for a while until she got bored. Well, it backfired big time because I went home and said, uh, like much like Jake here, I, uh, I said to my mom, hey, I asked a girl from my school out. And she said, well, I don't know about that. I'm going to have to call some of the other mothers and see if they're allowing their, their children to date. Oh, no. Yeah. You got mom blocked. <laughs> That's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. I, I didn't you learn You want to then. learn that lesson as soon as possible, too. Yeah. Unfortunately. But, yeah, that that was like a uh, like <laughs> a moment of like, no, 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 no. <laughs> don't call anybody. I just, I said that to get a rise out of you. It was not true. <laughs> Silly me. Always making jokes. My mom was friends with our school's counselor, (laughs) and uh, I asked a girl to homecoming when I was a freshman or a sophomore in high school, and my mom, unbeknownst to me, had asked the guidance counselor what the story was with this girl, and uh, found out from the counselor that uh, that she was not not a good person for me to be dating. <laughs> uh, my mom totally she did not ban me from going out with her, but but voiced her displeasure based on the sleuthing that she did. Wow! About this girl and uh, talk about breeding mistrust. Yeah, that was not a good moment. You can't do opsec on girls, Ben. No, that's uh, that's gonna backfire as a parent because. You put together a few incidents like that as a parent, and your kid is just never going to tell you anything ever again. And uh, and guess what happened, Ben? <laughs> so they're having this conversation where Cisco is counseling Jake to walk around in public with this girl, which, uh, <laughs> you know, the cheapest date possible. So not terrible advice. But um, You can get some of those uh, big lollipops. Yeah. <laughs> With the nice flare base. She'll love that. Kara <laughs> um, Kara comes up and is like trying to kind of like trying to trying to get Cisco's attention and he's really not reading her for like how urgent this seems to be. He he's like, Yeah, well uh whatever you want to talk about, we'll talk about over lunch and starts like ordering coffee. You know, gets that like that super nineties commuter mug of coffee. And uh, order some food, and she's like, "I need to borrow a runabout." And he starts prying. He's uh, he's curious why 
why she wants to take daddy's car. You really don't want to ask me that. Much like Jake asking his dad, you know, to take a date to the Hollow Suite, Kira's asking for the keys to the car, right? This is this is very paternal behavior happening from Ben Sisko to other people on the station. Yeah. He's not exactly leaping at the opportunity to do his first officer a favor. And uh, so she starts kind of prying stuff out of her and... It turns out that it's about this earring. This is an earring with the crest of a hero of the Bajoran resistance. Lee Nallis. The resistance leader? The greatest we ever had. Lee Nallis? The Lee Nallis? Holy shit. That's Lee Nallis's earring. That's the reverence that people treat both the earring and the name when it's spoken. Yeah. Everyone's what? heard that Gulls of Rail story. Yeah. I have already heard the story. Wasn't he reported killed in action? I, w- I wish I knew the, like, relative strengths of Bajorans and Cardassians. Are Bajorans, like, physically weaker than Cardassians, the way humans are physically weaker than Vulcans? It seems that way, and if that's the case, then Ferengi is definitely at the bottom, because <laughs> we saw Kira throw Quark across his own bar yeah. not too well, long ago. We, we, we do have the operating theory that Ferengi are very light. They have bird bones. Sure, sure. I'm, I'm willing to co-sign that theory. Uh, Kira wants to go on a Rambo First Blood Part Two hostage rescue mission. To Cardassia 4 to rescue a Bajoran prisoner of war. And uh, she wants a, a runabout to do it. She's only supposed to take pictures. <laughs> Just photographs. Under no circumstances are you to engage the enemy. Kira, Major. Half German, half Indian. It's a hell of a combination. The other thing that we uh, we probably should talk about is that they find some graffiti in the hallway. And um, this is graffiti that is associated with the Bajoran terrorist-ish organization called The Circle. They're an extremist faction who believe in Bajor for the Bajorans. And meet tri-annually at a secret country mansion in Colorado known as the Meadows. I don't know about you, Ben, but uh, when my graffitos are scrawled in yellow paint, I feel <laughs> like that's especially threatening. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. Is this Star Trek's first graffito? I feel like uh, I feel like the Klingons are known for their graffitos, right? Oh, yeah. They tagged up that space station on Discovery, didn't they? Yeah. So that's what they do. Yeah. And they got that poopy on that one ship. Yeah, you want to avoid that if possible. That was not intentional graffiti. <laughs> they bombed that that one uh, starship where they uh, they tagged it up and it said "All you see is," and then on the other starship it said "Crime in the city." <laughs> <laughs> you have any more before we move on? <laughs> I don't know. We'll probably just have to edit in some wild style drops. <laughs> yeah. I love how we basically, uh, we we cut to her quarters and like it's her getting ready, except mm-hmm. it's almost, again, like using the date analogy, like it's her getting ready for a date. Yeah. Kira's packing a small bag, but uh, Cisco doesn't want her to go alone, which is why he's brought O'Brien to be the wheel man. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. Every crime needs a good wheel man and... Kira's a great driver, but this O'Brien guy drives like he doesn't care if he lives or dies. Yeah. 
Because he doesn't. He's he's kind of a baby driver, if you will. Sure. Uh, yeah, he doesn't want to get back to his family, even though he has one. Uh, That's the funniest part of like when Kira and O'Brien board the runabout and get ready to go. Kira's like, look. This mission can end only one of two ways. Either we bring back Lenalis or we don't come back at all. <laughs> and O'Brien looks at her like, so can I just choose the second one? <laughs> She's like, what I'm trying to tell you, O'Brien, is we're expendable. And he's like, does that mean your family wants you to come home for dinner? But if you don't show up, doesn't really matter. O'Brien's like, uh, you take me to Cardassia 4? You take me with you so we can start a new life? <laughs> Live the quiet life? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> O'Brien uh, coming into this into this operation made me realize something that I hadn't even thought of in the entire first season of Deep Space Nine is, who hates the Cardassians more, Kira or O'Brien? He totally Cardassia explains Kira in the apartment <laughs> before they go. He's like, I've seen how the Cardassians treat their prisoners. Like, Kira hasn't liberated camp after camp full of these atrocities. Like, give me a break. Yeah. Uh, like, that, that line again was meant for us. That wasn't meant for anyone in the room. Right. And what they, what they should have done is something like Alice Waters going to that uh, farmer's market in New York where uh-huh. she says, like, uh, this is a prison camp, and he goes, I've seen how Cardassians treat their prisoners. It's bad. And she goes, yeah, I know. I know. I know all about it, asshole. Here's the thing, though. They give O'Brien this throwaway line about how he knows this stuff, but when they get to the planet, they don't allow him to like have that memory visited upon him. Like He has totally squished those feelings, and he's a total pro on the planet surface. And I was hoping for a little bit more unhinged O'Brien in this moment. Oh, like getting, like having a PTSD kind of moment? Well, not even that, but like have him really relish the idea of shooting Cardassians down there while on the clock. Like this is something he doesn't get to do normally. Yeah. And it's not that he hates the Cardassians, it's that he hates what they made him become. Survive a war. You gotta become war. So. Let us never forget. Uh, yeah, yeah, he really does keep his cool. He, they, they approach the camp just on foot. Like they, there's a little like fun and games with talking to the, talking to the radio substation that's tracking their progress across Cardassian mm-hmm. space. They've tricked out their warp signature to look like something else. And, uh, they decide to put down on Cardassia for evidently not the seat of the Cardassian Empire because it's just, this planet is just a heap of rubble. They're going to need all these rocks broken, Ben. And that's, <laughs> that's what these guys are there to do. This is definitely like the Rambo camp, right? When they beam down, this is a real outdoor set. I was totally blown away. This is real sunshine. Yeah, it's uh, it's real sunshine. There's like late season six TNG level depth of shots where... yeah. You can see, like, more than 100 yards in the distance. You have an action set piece where, like, people are falling down hills and, and shooting beam weapons and stuff. Yeah. It's great. It's a lot of fun. Uh, their their opening gambit is Kira is a Bajoran prostitute that is, for some reason, here, and O'Brien is her pimp. <laughs> 
The Cardassian guard should have just been like, nah, 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 nah. What would it cost me for an appointment? More than you could afford. Yeah, the unbelievable part is O'Brien as a pimp. Yeah, like, O'Brien as a pimp, zero cents. Kira could be anyone. Like, she is a chameleon. Like, she's almost too excited to be playing this part, I think. Yeah. The uh, prisoners here doing the hard labor are are noticing this scene going down. What's this all about? I'm not quite sure. They've all like pretty much noticed, so they're like ready for it when the uh, when the drop happens. Yeah. Kira starts like you know punching and and knocking out the guard. She turns off the perimeter fence. She and O'Brien start pegging the other Cardassians that are walking around and. Um, and they get everybody to escape. It's a real desperate escape attempt. It's it's uh, it's more Rambo two, like you know we're we are barely making it out alive with you guys kind of shit. From a technical perspective, this scene blows away so much of season one. There's so much happening here. It's more exciting uh, shot compositions than you normally get in Trek, like. Right. Even in TNG, when they had outdoor stuff, you know, it would just be Doctor Crusher and Picard walking around in the in the wilderness. This is right. like like thirty people running toward camera, and they're like firing lasers back at the at the Cardassians who are, you know, shooting shooting beam weapons at them. Guys falling down hills, rocks exploding. It's a, uh, it's pretty wild. Do you think that? The Cardassians are just bad shots, <laughs> or is it on a fundamental level a pulse weapon is less accurate than a beam weapon because a beam weapon is its own tracer? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I wondered about the way O'Brien used his beam weapon because he would like t- like aim a shot and then click the button and it would miss. But he he's never like. Like what I would be doing if I had a phaser is just like waving it all over the place at the people, right. you know, like using it as a cutting torch. Yeah, but maybe it like maybe if you uh, maybe if you like move it around too much, it could like melt in your hand or something. I don't know. Yeah, we need some some phaser backstory here. Like have have him toss it to like one of the Bajorans and say like like don't wave it around too much; it'll blow up in your hand. I don't even know what accent that was, man. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> they make this uh, this weird decision in this moment. They're like they're getting out with like dozen prisoners, and they're like, like we're not going to escape these four remaining Cardassian guards. And one of the prisoners is like, he's like, I'll stay back. I'll stay back with four guys, and we'll fight them off if you give us your phasers. You get this this dude out alive because if Lee Alice survives, like it's a big deal. Everybody, not those four guys, gets on the runabout and and they're like waiting and they're like, oh man, like we can, we're gonna take off. Like once those guys get back here, and Lee Alice is like, don't take off without those guys, man. Don't take off without those guys. And the major has to make this like horrible decision. Like we're just gonna we're gonna have to leave them behind. They're gonna have to be sacrificial lambs. When Kira makes this decision, it feels like a professional making a tough choice in in a hard spot. But the aftermath of that decision is never talked about, and it's barely even reacted to in the moment. Did I, you think that was weird? I thought it was weird. I think it's like a little bit building up to the reveal about Lean Alice later, but yeah. I was also just like, 
So fucking take off and beam those guys up, right? Like, how many times in Trek have we seen somebody in a hairy situation get beamed out of it? What's preventing that? O'Brien's, like, counting down the time it takes for these two giant Cardassian warships to enter orbit. And they're just waiting. (laughs) And, like, the pregnancy of them waiting seems so nonsensical to me. Yeah. Kira turns to O'Brien. She's like, hey, do you know how to use a transporter beam? And he's like, duh. Does my answer mean whether or not we'll be staying or going back home to Deep Space Nine where my wife is? What are you doing now? Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this Lee Nallis guy. He's got that that sort of leathery, sun soaked ruggedness to him. He does sort of an Erzatz Hasselhoff type that you'll that you'd find on like uh, your your late eighties action television show, like Airwolf pilot guy or like Baywatch Nights antagonist. Yeah, like he he, he looks sort of anonymously good looking. Uh, yeah, and uh, anonymously nineties hair. Like yeah, yeah. It's like it's not it's not '90s hair that calls attention to itself the way Ginger Jesus would. He looks like the bartender in a resort town. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like 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 good looking for there. You do enough shots with him, and he tells you like he used to be an investment banker, but he just <laughs> fucking couldn't take the stress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's Lee Nallis. All He's right. living the dream. And, like, for a moment, you think about whether or not you could live that life, too. Yeah. Like, Lee, Nall- Lee Nellis is, like, is, is, he's beach bar chic. <laughs> you want to be living that Lee Nellis lifestyle. You go to a hotel conference room. You, uh, you, take, his, you take his class, the Lee Nellis lifestyle. Right. It becomes evident that it's just a timeshare pitch about halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I knew that there was some reason they were giving away blenders. <laughs> Lee Nellis took a little fire on the way out, so, like, when they get back to the station, he's got to go. He's got to go to Six Bay. And uh, it's like like everybody that, that comes off of this thing has to go to Six Bay, but he's in a bad enough way that they they get him to the station, like, make him go through the airlock, and then they beam him from the hallway to Six Bay. Ben, when you only have a single camera, what you need are your actors facing the same direction, which is why it's so convenient that Lee Nallis' injury was on his back. <laughs> so he could he could lay on his stomach and talk to Dr. Bashir while they're both facing camera. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he didn't take a bath or like get cleaned up at all while he's getting treated. Like I guess whatever he's getting treated for is that bad that they like don't have time to like clean the filth off of him. <laughs> they didn't want to show the delousing scene when they brought him on board. <laughs> what do you think are the bugs that are on him from Cardassia Four? Yeah, probably really gross. Um, Kira runs into Cisco's office to like tell him how the op went and is very embarrassed to find that uh, Cisco is FaceTiming with Gul Dukat. Yeah, you get a knock first before going into Cisco's office for a variety of reasons, Ben. <laughs> One of them being that he may be FaceTiming with Dukat. Yeah. And uh, that might be something that enters into the vernacular as another way to say whacking it, right? Right, FaceTiming with Dukat. Yeah. Yeah. 
like, do you think that like Ducat is tipping Cisco? <laughs> He's like Cisco is like camming for Ducat. <laughs> uh, yeah, just to, as a way to earn some extra money. Yeah, sure, I could see that. Yeah, but uh, it ends up being one of those tension and release moments pretty fast because uh, Kira's not comfortable being there, but it's quickly uh, disclosed that. Ducat is all about apologizing for the idea that these Bajorans were in this camp because they weren't supposed to be there because of some treaty. And so uh, he boxed up the rest of the Bajorans, sent them back to Deep Space Nine, and, and gave a humble apology for the situation even happening. And I hope that our quick response to this unfortunate situation will prove once and for all that Cardassia is no longer your enemy. We get a real tiny scene in this episode in Quark's bar after it closes, and it's Quark and Rom counting money and dividing them, <laughs> d- dividing the bars of Latin between themselves. And it is... One for you and six for me. This is a situation that that grows an irritation for Ram as the count continues because it's just so dispiriting. Yeah. To see all that latinum go to the other side of the table. Well, he should have uh, he should have negotiated for a better percentage in the LLC when they founded Quark Ram Co LLC. <laughs> yeah, which rule of acquisition is it that uh, makes 6 to 1 fair on the split? It makes it seem like Ram has a piece of the bar, right? He owns one-seventh of the bar. Yeah. Yeah, so Rom slinks away in a huff, and uh, from stage right enters the Jabberwockies, <laughs> who hold Quark down and brand him yeah. on the forehead. They have, like, the, the, the branding iron of the future. I don't know which is more, uh, more troubling, the idea that, that Quark's bar has such poor security... <laughs> When money's on the table, or that the Jabberwockies are still a thing right. in the 24th century. Yeah, like you would you would think that winning dance crew contests would only have so much shelf life, but it seems like it's it's like the Blue Man Group. Like they've been able to to build an empire out of it. I'm shocked by this. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they get Quark to. To Six Bay, and I guess Bashir is like is not just a good doctor, but he's a good doctor Tadoff as well. Yeah, often the the more painful procedure is the removal and not the installation yeah. of of either your brand or your tattoo. Yeah, I, I gotta say, Quark is lucky that they did this on his forehead and not on his ear. Yeah, because that could have like really dulled his sexual. His sexual sensations, you know, and that would be really horrible. Yeah, a few people brand the tip, then for good reason. Yeah, I think it's about this time that uh, a Bajoran uh, government politician shows up, played by Frank Langella. Well, Ben, it may surprise and disappoint you to know that I was so shocked by Frank Langella's presence here that i did a little research oh man that's not how the board game works i know dude i know but it's frank langella he deserves a little research sure would you like to hear what i found lay it on me brother he did this role uncredited wow which is why you won't see his name in the credits 
Uh, he did it because he, at this moment in his career, did a lot of stuff for his kids' sake. He th- he knew his kids would enjoy him being on Star Trek, so that's why he did it. Wow. It was the same reason that he played Skeletor in the Masters of the Universe <laughs> film, which is a part that he played wearing a skull mask, Ben. Yeah. You may know this skull mask as the same skull mask that is worn on that one weird skull head-looking dude in the Klingon calisthenics program that Worf uses on the holodeck. It's the same mask, Ben. Do you see how I connected those dots? Holy shit. Thumbtacks and red string, man. I I happen to know that you record this podcast from your basement, and I'm just picturing the, you know, the the corkboard, the wall that has several lined-up milk bottles full of piss, the... Uh, the crazy scribblings on blank surfaces of wall that that you use to to arrive at this. Ben, those milk bottles predate my investigation. <laughs> Frank Langella also was a in a long term relationship with Whoopi Goldberg. No shit. Yeah, he was her steadman for a long time. Damn. All right, RSVP Frank Langella. Oh no, he's dead. Didn't he die? It's hilarious that that was the one bit of research I didn't do. No, he's not dead. He's 80 years old. Damn it. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) yay. (laughs) Boy, we just went through a lot of emotions just then. Uh, Yeah. Uh. Speaking of of emotional, uh, Jake is on his fainting couch. Sad that the Bajoran girl would not go out with him. Yeah. Because of his humanity. Yeah, it turns out that the like the circle, you know, most most well known via their dance crew, the Jabberwockies, are putting out a xenophobic ideology among Bajorans that uh Bajor is for the Bajorans and we shouldn't we shouldn't allow all these aliens to interlope. It's very much the uh the Vedic win idea it's it's it it cropped up a lot in season one and is now like encoded in the ideology of the circle i don't understand why bejor is so nationalist about this stuff like they've got factions on their planet worshiping cum monsters like clean <laughs> your own house yeah yeah. Get that shit figured out first. Like, it makes a little bit more sense for the Vulcans to be this racist, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, we don't really let anybody not Vulcan into our our science academy or our expeditionary force because we've figured everything out. Yeah, there's, like, an intelligent strictness to it that you can sort of understand. Yeah. There's nobody living on a moon in orbit of Vulcan that's like, hey, I'm not leaving here. I just finished my pizza oven. (laughs) Uh, What kind of oven was that, Ben? My pizza oven. (laughs) He's thinking of lasagna. I'm into my third beer, Adam. Leave me alone. Things got slippery pretty fast. I'm trying to give the people what they signed up for. I give you a Frank Langella story, and you start drinking like the man's dead. Yeah, man. I'm I'm holding an Irish wank, wake for a, a man that's still alive over here. After the podcast is over, I'll be holding an Irish wank. <laughs> I'm probably like a quarter Irish, you know, as far as I know. 
I've seen that mustache. I, I'm ready to believe that. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the part of the episode that sort of uh, pays off the idea of Lee Nallis, uh, guy who's not comfortable with his fame. We get a couple of scenes where he, where like groups of Bajorans are following him around the station, like wanting a speech. He finally gives that speech when uh, when Frank Langella beams up and. Every moment after this is just filled with this sort of dread about Lee Nallis. He he understands that Kira took him back home to erect him as a leader, but he doesn't really want to be given speeches, and he doesn't want to be given the responsibility yeah. of being this great new leader because his origin story is flawed. It's the thing that was animating him not wanting to leave Cardassia 4 without those dudes. Like he He didn't want them to sacrifice themselves for him. And this begins a debate about you know the difference between a person and a symbol there's it's the Kalis question all over again right like the truth of Gulzarail's legend is fairly far off from what the legend is like everyone thinks Lee Nallis killed a 10 foot tall Cardassian with his bare hands and he's this he's this hero figure that is worthy of worship and Lee finally levels with Ben Sisko and he's like look man uh, this guy was naked and small. <laughs> he he was hanging dong, just chilling in a lake. Yeah, Gulzarail, like, should be ashamed to die in that manner because I was a little bit embarrassed about the whole scene, but, like, the people needed a story, right? And so they latched onto it and they and they telephoned it into this legend. Yeah, he his his legend really got out of control and and it's not something he likes or wants he doesn't want to be a legend he doesn't want to be a symbol of hope for anybody and cisco is like they still need you this is something that fate has visited upon you and it might not be comfortable but you're in a very unique position to unite your people because bajor is fucking falling apart like people are fighting down there like the kai is dead or gone or whatever She's on planet the room. <laughs> I am not dead. I am not. Adam is uh, Adam is excited to quote the room because he just saw it for the first time. Feels good. Now I can tell those jokes. I like how you and I are doing a podcast right now and also sending jokes to each other via text <laughs> that aren't on the podcast. <laughs> We're really playing three-dimensional podcast chess here. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, like, when I edit this episode, I'm sure I will discover that we were far too drunk to be doing this. Mm. You're also uh, too drunk to realize that I will be the editor of this episode. Oh, shit. The end of the episode is, uh, is a pretty intense scene in Ops. Where the minister shows up to uh, announce that uh, Lena Ellis has been given the title of Navark. I don't know, man. If they're like making up a title for you, I might prefer it to sound a little less like uh, something that needs to be lanced from your body. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, there's a, a series of shocking revelations here. Uh, Lee Nallis has been given a a political title that is the first of its kind. Uh, it's uh, it's a great honor, 
but he is also the the new Kira. He's been made the Bajoran liaison officer to Deep Space Nine. They took her Jorb. <laughs> yeah, and she's been stationed back on Bajor. Yeah. She can do a lot more damage to the myriad pizza ovens down there if she were to live there. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. She can lead the anti-pizza oven expeditionary force. <laughs> Just... <laughs> You wouldn't believe the conditions I found them in. <laughs> Filled with the soot of a thousand pizzas. The ones they couldn't bake anymore. <laughs> buried in an open grave. <laughs> Some of them were even used for gluten-free crust. <laughs> oh, it was awful. One of them, it's hard to talk about. It was used for deep dish. <laughs> So this banger, this emotional banger is dropped on Kira, and a to-be-continued banger is dropped on us. It's a first-episode cliffhanger. Yeah, and when you start the episode, there's no indication given that this is going to be one of a several, you know? Like... I've, and I and I think that, that that is like in the context of this era of television, pretty pretty outre. Like the the average TV viewer is not expecting big fat arcs getting unfolded on them all the time. And Deep Space Nine kind of blazed this trail in a lot of ways. Like I think you know X Files was there for it too, but they. Uh, they don't give you any warning that this is going to be a cliffhanger at the beginning. And I don't even think that, like, the story structure gives you any warning for the first half, you know? No, this was super surprising. You kind of think that this is just going to be a a quick little, like, Rambo story, and it winds up really not being. Yeah, there are a lot of times when the credits can ruin it, and one of the ways that it does is when you get a part one in a title of episode yeah or sometimes you get uh, a cast credit sort of like what they did with michelle yo by making her an an and featuring credit right instead of a, a full bird cast member like you know she's not long for the show if if you get that credit so good on them for not betraying any of that uh, ahead of time it it really served the surprise for me totally it's a lot of fun and uh looking at the uh titles as listed on Amazon <laughs> they have blown that uh that surprise in uh listing them as the homecoming part 1 the circle part 2 and the siege part 3 Did you like this episode? Um I did. I think that this is an episode where I like like it's not really an episode that's there to be liked or not liked because it is really setting the table. Uh, And I think that that's a really cool and interesting idea, like an episode that is entirely about putting pieces on the board. I guess I like it in that sense, like the the sense that you sit down kind of expecting an arc, uh, either like an entire half of an arc or an entire arc, based on what we're used to so far and uh and it's not that it's like this new thing it's this new idea like what if we kind of introduce a whole bunch of characters and a whole bunch of uh motivations and power structures and 
uh, and like volatile elements and it's it almost feels like the first episode of a series you know yeah it, it's introducing so much it is it, it's almost like hitting the reset button on the entire show and from that standpoint i think it's a really interesting exercise and i uh am really excited to see what the next couple episodes have in store for us I might go a step further, Ben, and to say that if you removed the entire first season and made this the first season, the first episode of the series, I think it works. Yeah. I think it works without any backstory. There's enough restated here about Kira's Cardassian experience, about what the Cardassians are like, the relative guilt, the guilty feelings that some parties feel about their actions during it. Mm -hmm. I think it totally works as a... Uh, as a pilot yeah standing alone i mean this may be may have been the smarter entry point to the deep space nine story yeah if i didn't say it before i'll say it now i i like the episode for the same reason that you did and i hope this means that better things are ahead for the show as it starts its second season yeah it's a it's it's an exciting new way of of doing show well uh speaking of things that are always better then the last, let's check our priority one messages, Ben. Let's do it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Andy Kay. It is for Adam and Ben and James Tricky, <laughs> who, who used to work at Product Madness. And introduced me to this podcast. <laughs> uh, there's no T at the end there because I think they ran out of characters. He could have just stuck with Pod, you know. Like we've really, uh, we've really put that out there. Message goes like this, Ben. Hey guys. Hey guys. <laughs> Thanks for all the pods every Monday at 8 a.m. UK time. <laughs> I'm standing at my front door waiting for the latest episode to download so I can listen to on the way to work. You guys rock! Please, can you ask Kevin Uxbridge to say thank you to my friend and former co-worker James Tricky for introducing me to this pod. James, what you've done for me is something I can never fully repay because I've never had any money of my own. One of the horrible secrets about my real doll business is that I've shipped every single model I have on consignment. (laughs) To be honest, they have not sold well via the intermediaries and middlemen that I contracted with. You see, well, I have the powers to exterminate an entire race. My powers fail in the area of marketing. (laughs) You'd be ashamed to see the season three episode of Dragon's Den, where I appeared pitching my business and was laughed out of the room because I had no numbers to lean on. No customers, to be honest. And let me strongly discourage you from staying up late watching local cable channels. (laughs) Because the commercial that I filmed with that college student (laughs) did not turn out well. (laughs) 
I, I'm embarrassed that I attempted to produce a commercial by posting on Craigslist in the first place. That is partly on me. Actually, now that I think about it, Craigslist is exactly where I should be selling these tools. I don't know why I tried to be a uh, wholesaler in the first place. I should sell direct to the customer. <laughs> I digress. Anyways, thank you so much for putting us in front of so many new people. Well, Kevin, uh, you've made a great case for your product, and uh, you've done a hell of a job in thanking our friend James Tricky. It's like it's like Kevin is like a craftsman, but he sucks at, at the sales part of the job. It's almost like that's a whole different skill. Like so many artists, he's concentrating on the craft. I understand that. I feel like that's why my film production business basically collapsed. Yeah. Well, I would argue that my film production business collapsed because I spent too much time day drinking and recording a podcast. (laughs) There's a second message. It's from Susie, who uh, I believe we met at our first live show in Seattle. Whoa. I may may be mistaken. We go way back then. Yeah. Uh, And this message is for Leaf and Danny. It goes like this. Remember how much fun we had drinking with Gowron? on the Star Trek cruise this year. It sure was a blast when he put that triple down in his pants. Thanks for still being my pals, going on adventures with me, and drinking all those dranks. Too bad others couldn't join us. Also, Danny, you still have that crush on Adam after 190 episodes? Oh, damn. Much like my favorite kind of beer, Ben, uh, I am... Very crushable. <laughs> I wonder if they ran into our friend and our friend and Kilzer on uh, on that cruise. I think that, that would have been cool. I, I am not positive about the timeline, but I'm thinking it may be two different cruises that we're talking about because Ann Kilzer went on the yeah. very recent one. I think right. they're talking about the previous cruise. I feel like Ann would have told us about a triple in the pants of of a Galron. Yeah. Well, it, I, I think we'll probably be coming back through Seattle on uh, the 2018 tour, right? That's the idea. So maybe maybe you can meet Danny, who has a crush on you. Yeah, that'd be great. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll sign whatever Danny would like me to sign. How's that? <laughs> you better talk that over with your wife, Adam. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Well, uh... If you have a message that you don't need to talk over with your wife before sending, uh, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages like these cost $100, and commercial messages like uh, some other real great ventures cost $200. They're a great, great way to support the ongoing production of this program and keep us waist deep in the alcohol required to produce it. So thanks. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! There's, a, there's like the truest Shimoda is the oblivious in the face of danger Shimoda, right? Mm-hmm. That's what Shimoda was. Yeah. Stacking those chips. Sure. So to me, it's Odo. Ooh. Odo, Odo two times in this episode. The first time uh, when, he, when he spots that graffito on the wall. Yeah. And he, and he mentions that, like, look, you guys... This is not a big deal. This is in a low security area of the station. 
I don't think there's anything to worry about here. <laughs> and Cisco's like, what the fuck, man? Starting now, there are no low security areas of the of the station. And that makes a ton of sense to me, Ben. Why why is there such a thing here? Doesn't make sense. Yeah. And this ties totally into the second reason for Shimoda, which is there are no cameras on the promenade outside of Quark's bar to see the Jabberwockies run out of there after branding him. Like, you have... You have people putting up nest cameras all over their homes at this moment. Yeah. And in the 24th century, you don't have as much as one security camera inside or outside of Cork's bar. I think that's ridiculous. If Riker can catch up on an episode of the show in order to be ready for the next part of the sh- the episode that he is in. Exactly. That's That should be a technology here. And because Odo is so oblivious in the face of these... You know, fairly easy to solve dangers. Like it, it would cost him two hundred bucks <laughs> to uh, to solve this problem. Yeah, uh, he is my drunk Shimoda. What about you, Ben? Um, my drunk Shimoda is uh, I. I think it's the same guard that we get the extended conversation with when it is prostitute proposition time. Mm-hmm. But. Um, uh, it is the Cardassian guard that we first see when we like reveal the camp, uh, because this guy like you know like there's a Bajoran that's like collecting rocks and putting them in a basket, and he gets like he gets like rifle butted, and then this Cardassian just struts off, and he is like, I guess he's like walking down a hill, but the way he's strutting is just like boom, ba doom, boom, 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 boom. I'm a Cardassian guard. Boom, boom, boom. I am so tough. And uh, I just laughed. It's like a very extended shot, and his walk doesn't get less silly as it goes on. (laughs) And and I just laughed. He never breaks character. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Gotta get that, get that, go press that. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. 
It's what I can depend on when I could use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, uh, what do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The uh, Amazon website has it thusly. The next episode is Season 2, Episode 2, The Circle Part 2. Kira risks her life and war with the Cardassians to rescue a mythical Bajoran hero from a distant prison colony, which is the exact same, <laughs> the exact same ex- episode capsule as Amazon has for The Homecoming, which is the episode we just watched. However, not to be outdone with bad episode capsule... Netflix has it as, after Minister Jero dismisses Major Kira and sends her back to Bajor, Sisko angrily confronts him about his actions. <laughs> so, uh, I, the thing I've noticed about the Netflix ones is that they are written by somebody who clearly watched the cold open of the episode. Yeah, that's the best. <laughs> that's why they're so funny. Yeah. I'm definitely on team Netflix capsule going forward, dude. I, I, think, I, think, uh, I think they are unintentionally funny. I think uh, I think reading both is, is the only way to reveal the funny. All right. Fair enough. At least for me, because I don't remember the series that well, you know? Well, I think the thing we do at the end of every episode now is to break out our board game. Yeah. And, uh, and roll our six-sided die to see where we end up next. So you had to gach.biz slash game you're required to learn as you play roll and uh, we're going to generate a random number between one and six because we are rolling a virtual die and the number is five chula 
Did I win? Hardly. So that'll be spot seven, which is a clear space on the board, uh, unadulterated by some crazy mechanic that we or our listeners came up with ahead of time. So that'll that'll be a regular-ass episode next week, but uh, hopefully it'll be a lot of fun because it'll be the middle of a, of an arc, you know? You, your Empire Strikes Back is always the best episode in your in your trilogy, right? Try to think of a bell curve and all the good that bell curves do. <laughs> that's the best part in the middle of that bell, right? Yeah. That's, that's a, what's coming up next time. That's the good shit. The good shit don't stop over on uh, on Facebook, Reddit, and Twitter, Ben. Conversations aplenty about every episode. Uh, jokes dissected surgically. Yeah. Vivisected even, and then and then put in little jars of uh, formaldehyde mm-hmm. for study. Totally. That's that's how that's how tight this game is. It's that tight. Uh, there's also a Wikia page, Greatest Gen Wikia page, where people keep track of all the silly dumb shit we say on the show. Uh, it's a great resource if you're not clear on something we said and like what its origin may have been in the series uh it's it's a really cool thing and uh if you like the show you can go to uh your favorite podcast app and rate and review us give us a nice review and that really helps yeah that's the shit right there that's that shit uh check out our other show friendly fire on MaximumFun.org. Oh, and also, I wanted to give a shout-out to my buddies uh, Sean and Steve, who I used to make a show. I I, I had a a brief job professionally podcasting uh, for this website, Made Man, and Sean and Steve were uh, also working there at the time. And since then, they've started their own show. It's called Six Pack. And uh, it's a it's a great podcast where they drink a six pack of beer and talk about six topics, and uh, it's I've uh, I've listened to the last several episodes and I've really enjoyed myself, and uh, I say anybody that listens to this might enjoy that, so go give it a try. These these people weren't the ones responsible for your firing there, right? No, no, they uh, uh, one one of them was also a victim of that firing because. A whole bunch of us got let go all at once, and the other had nothing to do with it. Wow. Good job by them. I'm glad they landed on their feet and uh, and are making good pot. Yeah. We should, uh, we should, we should head out, Adam. Uh, we'll see you next time on another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine as we bring you another episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which is the sober second part in a three-part series (laughs) i'm not gonna be that sober okay clearly not even if we recorded tomorrow i don't know if you would be By the way, Reddit slash r slash popping used to be a great sub and is now like all burns and boils. It sucks. It's like people with blisters taking pictures of them. I I can't believe you actually go there.
All it used to be was a nice, like, gif of a blackhead going, you know? Ben, I use r slash popping as a punchline. I don't actually go there. You know you don't actually have to go to the things you make jokes about, right? (laughs) Oh, my God, Ben, all this time. You've been fucking things with baseball bats. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Do not fuck Bokai at home, (laughs) is what I would tell all of our our viewers. No. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.